So, uh, hey, we're back. Just going to do it. We're back. Are we? Yeah, we're back. It's been a while. Define, define back. We're back. We're back. We're back on the, well, what is it? We're not on the air. We're on the, we're on the tubes. We're back on the series of interconnected tubes. And uh, it's been a while. And we'll have an explanation for you shortly that I think you'll appreciate. But um, uh, uh, do you want to do the you're listening to whatever the fuck we're called, Dave? You're listening to The Audit with Josh and Dave. Excellent. That was great. You see those fools at the back of the class. They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass. They ain't here to learn, they're just here for laughs. The day you're home will just to tear it in half. If you want blood, you got it. You trap a keeper, I'll on it. Give me a crap, I'll blot it. This ain't the tension, baby, this is the audience. This podcast is brought to you by The Lever, the award-winning, reader-supported investigative news outlet. We are, we're actually, we're very proud to be part of that network, I would say. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Super. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, I want to talk about something they did recently. That was kind of nice in a minute. But uh, if you want to support this show, there's a few ways you can do it. First, you can go over to levernews.com slash audit and hit the become a supporter button at the top of the page and become a subscriber. Uh, that'll subscribe you to The Lever. Right off the bat, you'll get immediate access to the full-length episodes of our show, The Audit, every week. You'll also get access to the Lever Premium podcast feed with extended interviews, lots of special bonus content, and then plus, uh, you'll have exclusive access to all of the in-depth reporting and investigative journalism that The Lever does. And I got to say, in the time we have been gone, they have done some amazing stories. Uh, they also, they just won the uh, the Izzy Award for uh, some work they've done. And we'll talk about that actually is he, in a later uh, episode. Is, is, he, is he Stradlin's award? Yeah, is he, yes, that's exactly right. That's rhythm, um, rhythm guitar. You can also, we don't do a Patreon anymore because uh, it felt bad to like dun people every month when we're off the air for I didn't feel bad. I was fine with it. Yeah, Dave was fine taking your money. I had an attack of conscience. So now you can, um, you can help out if you want with uh, one-time tips to our Venmo account, which is at the audit, which is one word, and it's uh, under businesses on Venmo. And that money doesn't just go to um, feed our wild uh, uh, cocaine habits. Um, it also goes to help out our uh, our team, uh, Colin McCoy, a.k.a. Diesel Boots, who does the, the song you just heard. Shit, you know what? Do it now before you hear his new song, because his new song is such a dementedly evil earworm. You're actually going to want to go to his house and take money from him. After you hear it, I would say. Um, I get my cocaine from Donald Trump Jr. Well, okay. And yeah, and you need more money for that. It also goes to um, uh, Brian Ciano, who's our uh, free-floating agent of chaos, uh, our research guy. But yeah, our new theme song. I've been waking up at like 4 o'clock in the morning with that fucking song stuck in my head. It's mm. it's the new, ones, the new ones, bad folks. Um, 
You can also, uh, it really is. It's terrible. Colin, Colin should be arrested. Uh, you can email us at the audit podcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at the audit podcast. But on the subject of the lever, I want to talk for a minute because we have been just out of this shit. And it's like every time something happens, I'm like, I want to talk about it on the show. And then we're not doing the show. But uh, the lever did a nice piece last week on the fact that uh, Clarence Thomas, you know, Clarence Thomas, Dave? I've heard of him. You know, the whole thing, like he's been, uh, uh, while while he was enjoying wild gifts and treats from, um, uh, how would you describe this guy? Uh, Creepy billionaire. Yeah, very very much not a Nazi, but a Nazi tchotchke enthusiast. (laughs) Very much not a Nazi, but but pushes and funds policies that are Nazi-esque while uh, having Nazi stuff all over his house. Harlan Crow is the name, gentlemen. But yeah, but but very much not a Nazi. And uh, I know that because like every uh, right wing creep in the world crawled out from under the woodwork to tell me last week that he was not yeah. a Nazi. Um, and uh, but the lever had a nice piece about how while he was hanging out with this guy, flying around the world and going on these luxury cruises with him and not reporting these gifts. Um, uh, Thomas and while he was voting, he was passing voting to pass Citizens United which made it a lot easier for dark money groups to influence elections. But you notice he actually wrote um, in his opinion, passing citizens United, that citizens, citizens, that citizens United did not go far enough. Mm. Yeah. Um, you can tell. Yeah. (laughs) This is for the piece. It's also from Tommy said, this court should invalidate mandatory disclosure and reporting requirements. He argued yeah. that donors he argued that donors could face retaliation and ruin careers when they disclose their political spending, uh, citing an example from California in which supporters of a ballot measure ending same-sex marriage were allegedly harassed for donating to the ballot measure campaign. Yeah, they were because they were from out of yeah. fucking state and pouring money in from Utah. Uh, that all backfired on him anyway, but. Yeah, of course. Exactly what the situation we're talking about. A guy has a bunch of Nazi stuff in his house and he's getting backlash because, uh, you know, normal people don't like it when you're a complete and total fucking asshole. Yeah. Well, my favorite of all people came out, Charles Murray, you know, the uh, yeah. the bell curve, famous, famous uh, uh, racist, Charles Murray. Yeah, he came out and, and said something along the lines of like, you know, I can tell that none of the people complaining about this know Harlan Crow because if they knew him, they'd know what a nice guy he is. Oh no, as he though knows somehow, him. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he knows him very well. There's a painting yeah. of them together. That's how no, much no, no. He's, he's that's saying stuff. he's saying that the people criticizing him don't know him because I know I'm saying did know Charles him, yeah, of Murray. Course, of course, knows Charles him Murray so. Knows. Josh, how many paintings do we have together, you and I? Uh, a painting more, of you and I standing on a porch. Yeah, no, it's not the one stuff us standing on the porch I'm worried about people finding out about, Dave. So I'm just saying he more than kind of knows him. There's yeah. paintings of yeah. him together. Yeah, they're buddies. They're pals. They're pals. But I don't don't you love like when when you're out there, people are accusing you of maybe being a Nazi, maybe having like a very high profile racist come out and saying you're a nice it's guy. Not, <laughs> it's but that's all he has. Those are all the yeah. it's like everybody from the American Enterprise Institute, which is just like yeah, the most right wing horrific organization. They all, they're all like, no, he's good. Yeah, <laughs> they could not find one slightly decent human being to be like, he's okay. Yeah. They're all terrible people. 
You have no idea. That swastika keychain he gave me, that thing cost $1,000, man. That is a good person. He's not just handing that's, out cheap That's trade. how you tell a nice, that's how you tell yeah. a nice guy. Um, but the house thing is the best. What, what's the house thing? The, the Clarence Thomas house thing that came out in the lever today. Um, so let me make sure I have this completely correct because it's, oh, it was ProPublica. Um, yeah, but, but yeah. So Harlan Crow bought property from Clarence Thomas and his mother. Oh yeah. Yes. Sure. And then spent thousands, tens of thousands of dollars redoing the house. Mm -hmm. She still lives there. Sure. So he, f <laughs> I'll get your point. It's so, it's so, the corruption is so like off the charts that it's like, I don't, it's going to be I so did that, fascinating. I've done that for you. Tell, 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 yeah, tell oh, all yeah. listeners who owned your house. <laughs> you own my house. <laughs> and that's why we have new bathrooms. <laughs> um, it's it's this is going to be fascinating because to me the court for a while I mean it's always been a terrible court like in history but yeah it's it's been super illegitimate for a while this is going to be if he's because they're not going to get rid of him there's no way to get rid of him that's the thing yeah nothing's do you think anything's going to happen no nothing's going to happen but the court will become so delegitimized that we get to have the discussion. Can you ignore the Supreme Court? And the answer to that question is absolutely. Yeah, yes, you, you can. Have to. You have to. So, so that hopefully that's where this goes because nothing could be better than a delegitimized Supreme Court, particularly right now when it is run, when it is mostly cultish. They're, they're cult members on that court. They're yeah. extreme radical lunatics. So nothing could be better than to completely delegitimize it and have everybody who's not a conservative go fuck off yeah. that that's the best case scenario. So hopefully, I mean, ideally he stays on there and everybody just says, go fuck yourself court. Like that would be the ideal sort of solution to this. Yeah. Well, and then we saw AOC, uh, was it last week? Um, you know, when the Texas court blocked, uh, what's the abortion drug? I can't remember. Mifepristone. Is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Well, it's um, not just an abortion drug, but yeah. Yeah, but you're saying that I mean it's such an absurd and obscene ruling that that um, Biden should just ignore it and refuse to. Uh, enact it's hard it and, to do um, that or to prosecute it. And she caught a lot of shit. But I I will say it is it is a step in the right direction to actually see an elected official saying that in the mainstream press. But it's very hard to do that when you've allowed a crazy judge in Florida to get rid of masks on airplanes. So you've set precedent that you listen right. to judges in, and then you, so you can't pick and choose. Like you have to do both of those or none. Yeah, she's right. Like there's absolutely no reason to go along with, they are crazy religious lunatics. They should have absolutely no saying over what we're doing. Like if it's not in the constitution saying they are absolutely uh, justified and we are forced to do what they say, then fuck it. Right. Yeah. They all believe in the constitution. So let's believe in the constitution. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. By the way, it's a nice, a nice segue into, we should, we should talk to folks about what it is that we're doing on this uh, current iteration of our show. So 
Um, you kind of already gave it away with what you just said, but I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead with this anyway. Hey, Dave, what do Tucker Carlson, Ted Cruz, Candace Owens, Nigel Farage, Dinesh D'Souza, Larry Elder, the late lamented, much lamented Charles Krauthammer, Michelle Malkin, Matt Walsh, Stephen Crowder, Brett Stevens, Jordan Peterson, Dave Rubin, Michael Nowles, Ben Shapiro, and Charlie Kirk all have in common. They all support me for president. Exactly right. And that's why we're back with the audit to wait. What? Hmm? You know, when I was putting that list together, I'm not kidding. This is not, I'm not doing a bit. I realized as I, I, I wrote down Ben Shapiro and then I wrote down Charlie Kirk and I went, wait, I just said that. And then I was like, oh, wait. And then I had to Google them. And I realized they are, I can barely, except for the fact that one of them, I think Charlie Kirk, somehow his face is like too small for his head. Yeah, yeah. Can you actually tell the can you tell face. the difference between those two guys? Oh yeah. Because I realize every time I see Charlie Kirk, I just think it's like Ben Shapiro has had some kind of bout with the flu or something. They ben they Shapiro's have blended voice, together in my mind. Well, I don't listen to either all. of them. Really? Uh no, they're very separate different people. I mean they have the same opinions, but um yeah. no, Ben Shapiro's voice uh it's horrific and you should be able to tell them apart by that. So yeah, actually the, um, uh, the thing they all have in common is that they're all, I guess, presenters mm-hmm. at PragerU. They all give, Inter- um, they're guest professors. Yes. Well, they don't call them professors or they're presenters. And, uh, Ted Cruz doesn't actually present. He's a guest, but I just want to throw him in there. But, uh, yeah, at PragerU, the internet's biggest phony educational resource. um, and we've been talking about them for a while, and I had somehow managed to be oblivious to how bi- how big are they, Dave? Because I, I was like, oh, yeah, it's that asshole Dennis Prager has been around forever. Did not realize how enormous they were. Yeah, they're ma- it's a massive propaganda organization. Millions and millions of views all over Facebook and everything else and, and in schools. And yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, they pump a lot of money into into Facebook. Um, they are pretty much why your crazy right wing uncle continues to be crazy right wing uncle. And you know what they do is they do these little five minute videos so that he can go like, look, look, this proves that there's no racism. Yeah, because I got a black guy talking yeah. about how there's no racism. But um, yeah, they're this big deal. We're going to get more into them as we go. But basically, Dennis Prager was this. Do you remember him from back in the nineties? Yeah. Were you out here? Where were you? Yeah. He was like this radio, right wing radio talk show guy. And he was like, you know, this is like peak Rush Limbaugh years, I guess. And he was kind of the, uh, uh, the sort of rational Rush Limbaugh. He, he didn't, uh, uh, he didn't, uh, his, his, his veins didn't bulge and he didn't scream and he, he wasn't an, uh, an he wasn't an explicit racist, but, he kind of used, you know, essentially uh, his he sort of used Talmudic wisdom to arrive at his insane conclusions. And um, he passed for an intellectual on AM talk radio mm. uh, among the crowd that bought that shit. And, uh, but he stuck around, man. I had no idea. In fact, we were, we were, uh, my mother-in-law remembers him from, um, she lives out here. She remembers him from back in the seventies. I guess he was writing books on Judaism, and uh, my wife, my wife brought up the fact that we were doing this, and she goes, "Mom, do you know Dennis Prager?" She's like, "Oh yeah," and then she says that and she goes, "He had some weird ideas." <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, he had uh, some weird ideas. Um, big on really, really down on the homeless. Uh, not, a, not a fan of the homeless and terrible views mm-hmm. on education. And he was really down on gay people for a while. He seems to have sort of come around a little bit on that. But uh, yeah, he started this thing. I guess he wanted to start a university, found it was too expensive, teamed up with some hack TV writer, and they 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 went this route. And they do, I mean, PragerU, I, I can't count. There's no system, as far as I can find, we've been dealing with this for months. There's no system to find out exactly how many videos are on PragerU. But right. hundreds, a couple thousand? Yeah, hundreds. Yeah. Easily hundreds. Um and uh, they're bonkers. That's a, yeah, uh, heinous, bonkers, uh, horrific, monstrous, yeah, stupid, pathetic, childlike, kind of evil. We said this before. Uh, I would, yeah, evil is a good word. Uh, and, a good word. And, and Dennis likes to use that word a lot too. So it's safe. He likes to. He does. Uh, yeah, the left is one of the interesting things, though. I'll, I'll say this credit: Dennis does lately seem to understand the difference between liberals and the left, but, or he understands that there is one. He still doesn't quite understand. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he doesn't know what it is, but, but um, yeah, but they get about 40% of their funding comes from like 130,000 online donors, which is absolutely insane. Um, and he also gets money from some big money donors. Uh, my favorites are, you know, Harrison or Farris and Dan Wilkes. Uh, who made their mm-hmm. billions in fracking. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, and for added chuckles, they uh, they also they started a church called the Assembly the Assembly of Yahweh, where Ferris preaches. Uh, he's compared homosexuality to bestiality, mm-hmm. and he's declared that climate change is the will of God. So I wonder if it's, you can guess. Yeah. Mm, God, you, uh, God wasn't yeah. like, hey, drill, take all the stuff I put in the earth out. He... <laughs> And burn it. He was like, oh, I put that in there. Leave it. <laughs> well, I know, like, like God, how, God, how wouldn't that be a temp, one of those temptations? Wouldn't would that be like a temptation? Don't touch that. Like, doesn't God have a bunch of things where he's like, I put it there to tempt you, but you're not supposed to do it. Isn't right. that, shouldn't that also be fossil fuels? Is that not? But he, he did do the, the rain, the 40 days of rain thing, which uh, we just finished up here in LA folks. Not quite as bad as in the Bible, but we didn't finish. It's raining my house right now. It's raining your house right now? It's been raining all day. It's a sunny day here. Um, Congratulations. But yeah, but anyway, take a wild guess what PragerU's position on climate change is. Uh, so Great. Yeah. But not only do they clog Facebook and, and the internet, um, they, they also, they show this stuff in schools, high schools, and universities all over the country. And that's the part that really bugs me, honestly, especially at a time where like, you know, the, the, the big word the right likes to use is, um, uh, groomers. They're big on groomers. Well, they always get mad about what they're doing. They always scream about what they are doing. And that's what they're doing here with PragerU. They, they're putting propaganda in the schools. And so they're going to scream that other people are doing it. They're the ones doing it. Yeah, it's astonishing. And it is hard to find out exactly where this stuff is is being dropped. I mean, obviously, like Jerry Falwell University showing them, there's nothing you can really do about that. But we're kind of going out this time with a bit of an agenda, I would say. We not only want to kind of expose them a little bit and mock them and do our usual thing. It's um, 
uh, we are we are hoping that out of this we can at least get some of the schools that are showing these things, especially the kids, uh, to stop showing them because it's clear that in some cases people don't quite know what their teachers are showing kids, and they need to because not only is this stuff ideologically appalling in a lot of cases, it's also factually indefensible. Mm-hmm. Um, and and these things are weird to watch, man. If you've never gone, I don't know, describe a Prager, like Dave, you go to a PragerU video, what, what do you get for five minutes? I mean, it's absolute nonsense. Like it's, it's, it's the worst, dumbest right-wing stuff I've, I've seen like it's on the level of the absolute stupidest worst, like just, but it's all, it's all also it's pitched at such a dumb level. I mean, you watch these things and you're being talked down to, no matter what the subject is, you're being talked to like you're 13 years old, like you're eight years old. And I I cannot imagine this stuff reaching people, but it does. Uh, Well, if you're showing it to kids in schools and they're, you know, very young um mommy high school in ohio they were offered extra credit to watch prager u videos um you know it's the if teachers can get away with it they will like why wouldn't a teacher who is right wing teaching you know what civics or anything else history show prager u videos right why wouldn't they they it's not like they're completely restricted from showing things like that. Yeah. But these things are just, they were appalling. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're going to be going for the next, at least 10 weeks. <laughs> we're going to be diving into this shit, trying to dismantle them. Cause, uh, and it's a risky thing too. Cause, um, we've, we've, uh, we've put a bunch of these episodes together already and I can feel my brain softening, turning to mush. Um, we can't possibly in the past, in our various other endeavors, we have covered everything in totality. That can't be done with PragerU. You would go insane trying to detail and break down even a quarter of the videos on this site. So we've breaking down, a, we've taken a bunch of the best ones, by which we mean the worst. And each week we're going to sort of sequester them by a, by a theme, a thematic concept, and we're going to bring in uh, a different expert on that subject who will be our study buddy for the week to kind of help us break it down. But it is a risky job. Um, Dave, I stumbled across this new one that they just put up today. I have no idea who this guy is. His name is uh, Javier or Xavier uh, DeRusso. Um, he's a one-time BLM activist. And apparently he tried to do the same thing we're doing, and it didn't go well for him. And this is my biggest fear. So uh, here's here's uh, Xavier Javier DeRusso. Um explain what happened to him when he tried to do what we're doing. I was going to make a series debunking PragerU videos, and one by one, I unintentionally dismantled the entire narrative that I was indoctrinated with, or in other words, I accidentally red-pilled myself. (laughs) (laughs) What an idiot. (laughs) I I think this one just went up. Uh, this week because it's um, yeah, April 11th. So it came up technically last week and it's only been up a couple days. So it's, and it's already gotten 269,000 views on uh, Prager's channel. 
um, on the Prayer You channel. And uh, here, let's take a, let's take a look. Because they also put these up on YouTube. Um, he, on his YouTube, uh, on his Twitter page, it says he has a PhD in gaslighting. Jesus Christ. Yeah, 229,000 views here. You got to, I, I, I hate to say this, but we're going to be pushing a lot of these. You can go to our show notes and you can look at the entire videos if you want to. So we are going to be shunting some business their way. It's unavoidable, but you got to watch this clown's video because I have never seen anybody wear his ridiculous issues on his sleeve so clearly. And you watch him and it was like, it was only a matter of time before this guy, this poor sad black man uh, found some excuse to stand with white supremacy and Prager U was it. It could have been anything, but uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty astonishing. Um, so that's, that's the deal. Um, uh, it's brutal, man. I'd say this is the worst thing we've ever done. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Mm, George Bush was pretty <laughs> what, yeah. yeah, but it was like, it's, it's no, it, that is, that is redoing the image of a war criminal. Sorry. I can't. Yeah, but they, they redo the image of like 50 war criminals on PragerU, and they reach more people. I know, but uh, it's still, I got to go Bush. And honestly, like I say, by the end of the Bush thing, it was like, yeah, he belongs in The Hague. But if I, you know, if I had to hang out and have a beer with him, he'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Prager, none of these, I don't want to hang out with any of these people. Every time I watch one of these, I just, I despise these people even more on a personal level. I think uh, the, the, the horrifying thing about Bush is that he has on a personal level kind of kind of a cheerful, mopey, likable guy. But yeah, I don't know. I'm going to go with this one. I mean, I think morally you're probably right. Uh, but but Prager also fires so wide and covers so many subjects. I think they may be doing more general evil than George W. Bush's master class in leadership. But yeah, but you didn't ask me that. You just asked me well, what's worse and watching what's worse? Bush do that for hours. Yeah. Is worse. Yeah. OK. All right. I'll ask you again when we're done. We can, <laughs> we can see if we've survived this. Gonna, but um, anyway, uh, so yeah, so that's uh, that's it. Hey there, it's David Sirota, host of Lever Time, the flagship podcast from the award-winning investigative news outlet, The Lever. In politics, there's a complex web of money, influence, and greed that corrupts our democracy. Levertime is an unflinching examination of the latest news, events, and issues that often go unrecognized and unreported by corporate media. We interview a variety of guests and experts across media and politics, and we hold the powerful accountable. Some recent interviews include Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, comedian David Cross, progressive leader Nina Turner, and artificial intelligence expert Dr. Max Tegmark. So if you're looking for a true independent voice in political media, check out Levertime. Go to levertimepod.com or search Levertime on your podcast player to subscribe. So this week uh, we're doing, we're going to kick it off with world history. Our study buddy this week is Daniel Bessner, who's an associate professor of international studies in the Henry Jackson School of International Studies at the University of Washington. And he's also co-host of the very great podcast, American Prestige, which you should be listening to. Um, so let's get into it. But first, as promised or threatened, uh, the great Diesel Boot has blessed us with another one of his amazing theme songs. Seriously, trigger warning. This, this shit is an earworm. It will stay in your brain for the rest of your life and wake you up at three o'clock in the morning. Good morning, class. Good morning, Professor Gender Neutral Pronoun. Today we're learning. 
about socialism, deviant sex, and devil worship. Yay! And how cool it is. Hail Satan! But I want to learn about Jesus! Oh, Timmy, science fiction is next week. If you finally had enough of hippie college left-wing fluff, get yourself a real degree from Prager University. Good news, class. Bill Gates is here to give everyone free vaccines. Science is a commie plot. Our professors can't be bought. All textbooks are Soros free at Prager University. My pronouns are he and him. Loser. No more guilt, no more blame. No more hetero white male shame. No apes on your family tree at Prager University. Did you look up? He never got a graduate degree, right? He never oh, got yeah, a graduate we're getting, degree. We're getting into it. Yeah, okay. don't worry. No, we didn't. Okay. 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 Um, okay. Oh, he, yeah, let's get, he implies that so, he has one. Yes, he did. <laughs> sort of. It's artful. It's artful. We'll we'll get into it. Unlike our guest, however, who I believe has a uh, don't you have some sort of degree there, Danny? Um, Daniel Bessner is an associate professor of international studies in the Henry M. Jackson School of International Studies at the University of Washington, and he also co-hosts the amazing podcast American Prestige, which. Probably by the time you hear this, I'll, I'll have been on talking about movies for some ungodly reason. But um, uh, but he also wrote a piece, um, and full disclosure, Danny's a friend. He's been on our old show, The West Wing Thing. But he recently wrote a piece uh, in the New York Times, uh, of all places, um, The Dangerous Decline of the Historical Profession. And it seemed like a great, uh, just the perfect person to have on as we discuss Prager University's approach to history and foreign affairs. Safe to say Danny can legitimately lay claim to knowing a thing or two about both those things. Yes, um, I would, I, I, I'm, I'm an elitist who's wasted my life. So this is the one thing I was built to do. <laughs> exactly. And and there's a couple of things. There were two things in the New York Times piece. I wanted, like one I thought was really, um, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's simple and it's obvious, but it's true that entire areas of our shared history will never be known because no one will receive a living wage to uncover and study them. And that is a depressing, depressing fact because uh, I don't have to go to school to study history to uh, benefit from the fact that there are people out there who do. And um, it is depressing Absolutely. how much that profession uh, is being hammered. Uh, well, hang on. I'm getting to you in a minute, Anthony, because the next thing he says is, I love this, uh, and I thought of you instantly when I read it. Uh, Without professional historians, history education will be left more and more in the hands of social media influencers, partisan hacks, and others unconcerned with achieving a complex, empirically informed understanding of the past. He then goes on to talk about Bill O'Reilly and Rush Limbaugh. I, of course, immediately thought of my friend Dave's podcast, The Dollar. <laughs> I didn't say podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I'm, I'm going to argue, and I bet Dave is going to agree, even if you weren't on our show, that that actually um, uh, The Dollar, in fact, does provide a fairly complex and empirically informed understanding of the past. Um, would you agree, Dave? I'm not asking Daniel. <laughs> I mean, I mean... Uh, yeah, look, the, it's the same thing with um, with COVID. Uh, there is a 
a now a dearth of actual healthcare professionals and people who can handle this sort of thing, um, you know, sociological uh, epidemiologists and all that, all those sort of things. So those there's not that many of them, and and the void is filled by economists like uh, Emily Osser and uh, uh, ex-economy writers like David Leonhardt um, at the New York Times. So the void gets filled, and that's exactly the same thing here. The void is being filled um, yeah. by mostly idiots. The, the terrible thing about the void being filled is, is that the rich will pay the piece-of-shit conservatives to fill the space. Right. And and that's what that's what happens. The, so the thus Prager you, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the perfect example. Prager you fills the void of a total lack of history teaching that's going on. I mean, there's just and it was never that great to begin with. We were mostly taught American exceptionalism, but you know, you're you're right. You brought up about the 1619, you know, project that the the right is always reactionary. <laughs> if you read history, <laughs> I mean, they did it, they do it again, right? It, you know, I, and I, I think it's also just important to like recognize the scale beyond podcasts. Uh, Bill O'Reilly's books are the best-selling history books in human history, right? So the oh, scale really? we're talking about, yeah, the best nonfiction, I believe, books as a well, series. They're so fucking good. I confess, I've never opened one. I'm being guilty of a terrible sin of uh, bashing something I'm ignorant of. But costs for you to adapt one. Yeah. <laughs> have you have you actually cracked any of them? Have you read any of them? Yeah, no, I had to read some of them for the. I didn't feel comfortable making a claim about it in the piece, and, and no, I read them. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're basically um, there's the, it's interesting because they're not. It's really just kind of a repetition of facts. You know, it's uh-huh. like dramatically told stories. They're they're not especially ideological in an interesting way. It's not like Dinesh D'Souza, uh, and that's I think what what allows them to be like so huge because it's not just for conservatives it really isn't um i was expecting to find more ideology in them than i did uh and it's really like kind of like a simply told pretty short story about this individual figure so the problem with o'reilly is sort of the entire way of focusing on individuals to the absent of like structure and context the the marxist way to understand things uh less so dinesh d'souza which is like the democrats did slavery and they're the same as Democrats today. So there is yeah. a difference in sort of like what's going on there. Why, why do you think uh, O'Reilly's are so popular? Cause I would imagine there'd be some resistance from people who aren't tapped into his ideology to, into reading those things, but they're, they're like brisk stories. They're, they're literally like 30 serial adventure stories that that's how, that's how they're written. It's not, it's like, I mean, there's a Amer- like Dave said, it's all Amer- steeped dripping in American exceptionalism, but that's a bipartisan right. thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's what I think allows it to be, you know, that's his fair and balanced thing. That's his whole shtick. Does, does, um, I, I, I should have, I should have prepped for this. It's a simple question. Does he co-write him quote unquote with somebody? Do you think he actually writes yeah. him or does he have a, he's got a ghostwriter. Co-writer. Yeah. Oh yeah. He has yeah. to, I would imagine. I would imagine, I, yeah, but I, I, no, it's and it's a stated ghostwriter, I believe. I, I, I from what I recall, um, each one maybe there's a couple like with Bill O'Reilly or by Bill and, O'Reilly and Martin Martin Dugard uh, is is the author. Yeah, he seems to be on all of these. Martin Dugard, great. So yeah, 
And you know, you know, you bring up the the scary thing is where you go when you don't know history. Um, uh, Christopher Hitchens always brings up that's like one of the main main way fashion fascism arrives is just a total lack of understanding of history. It's it's incredibly dangerous. But I would just make the argument that you're talking about something that's already it's already happened. It's like. Like, yeah, I, I think I, I you, you, you left a little bit of hope in there as far as, you know, we we need to change this now, but I think it's already, you know, I totally agree. <laughs> I, I think it's done. I think it's done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, Jesus I think the time Christ. to unionize was go. 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah. I think the American university is now something that's not, you ever hear the phrase like Harvard is a hedge fund with a college attached uh, I yeah. think that describes a lot of the modern university. It's something different than a place where you go to study history. You know, people think that's good or bad. It's just to me a fact. I mean, they really, they really just are eager to churn out people who are going to jump into the business machine. Um, I mean, when I went to school, they they really pushed. I was studied earth science, and they they really pushed me to jump into this thing called remote sensing. Um, and so I did, and then I got out, and, and the, the technology was so rapidly moving that by the time I graduated, what I had already learned was obsolete, and I was just like, right. I, I didn't want to study that, but you told me to study it for a job, and now it's totally, doesn't it, you know, they're just trying to make a buck, and, and you know, someone had sold them on these uh, c- computer, you know, software <laughs> shit, and they bought it, and, you know, it's just, it's just a fucking racket. Yeah. Capitalism. Capitalism's right. Yeah. yeah, that's why yeah, I majored yeah. in. I majored in repairing Walkmen. So <laughs> that's uh, that's far more applicable than what I did. <laughs> well, let's let's just get into these because because we got a bunch. Danny picked a few choice ones, and you know the amazing thing. There's just so much to pull from on this site. I think one of the things that that we've been getting sort of. Uh, at least I have been just getting sort of lost in this morass of content. The Prager University website has got so much stuff. They are just churning this stuff out. And, and I think part of it is they just beat you down with the, uh, the enormity of it all. Because I see very little, I don't see a lot of people coming at them these days. Um, at all. And, uh, or, or at all, and it's bizarre. And part of it is because it's hard to do. You know, Dave and I, like our, our previous podcast, The West Wing Thing, and then previous um, arcs of this show, we have taken things, whether it's a, an entire TV series or it's a master class, and we've walked through the entire thing beginning, middle, and end, and, and hopefully left, you know, left no stone unturned and left, you know, a, a, a crater where, you know, <laughs> your, your belief in these things used to be. You can't do that with Prager. You can't go through all the Prager videos. Nobody can. I'd, I'd be amazed if there's somebody at Prager who's, you know, seen more than half of these things. But Danny picked uh, an interesting uh, variety of stuff um, on the kind of uh, history and foreign affairs uh, tip. And let's let's just go. I wanted to kick it off with. I think this is like the seminal Prager argument. It is. It is just the the perfect encapsulation of, of what they do, um, of what so many on the right do. It's so absolutely insane that, that charlatans like him have been making this argument for decades now and still doing it. In fact, they're still doing it blows my mind. Uh, Danny referred to it a, a little bit a minute ago, but 
Um, this one is called, and uh, it's five minutes, and it's uh, called The Inconvenient Truth About the Democratic Party. And Carol Swain is, I guess she's a historian of, of sorts. Um, she's a political she, scientist, I believe, at Vanderbilt. Political said. scientist. Um, in 2015, she wrote an opinion piece uh, for the Tennessean entitled Charlie Hebdo Attacks Prove Critics Were Right About Islam. Um, she uh, taught at the time at Vanderbilt. She eventually left. She ran for mayor of Nashville, uh, which she lost. Um, she, uh, the students at, at um, Vanderbilt signed a petition uh, for her temporary suspension for that article. Um, she's also gone through, I don't know if this is pertinent or not, it's just interesting, several major religious shifts over the years. She started as a Jehovah's Witness, became a Pentecostal in the late 90s, and now she's a Southern Baptist. And her politics, from what I can see, have just been shifting further and further and further to the right over time. Um, she recently appeared in Dinesh D'Souza's Hillary's America movie, and she worked oh um, as vice president of the Trump administration's 1776 report, which uh, you must have read that, right, Danny? I did read that. Did. Yeah, I, I read that. I read that. Yeah. <laughs> you okay, man? <laughs> yeah, I, if I recall correctly, it was like um, there were like weird typos in it. If I recall, that's like the thing that sticks out because you <laughs> can imagine hilarious. what it says. But like there was weird, like I don't think I'm wrong. Weird syntactical and grammar stuff that just indicated like how quickly they did it. That's what I remember most right. from it. I, I hope I'm not wrong about that. I don't think I am. Jesus. Well, that's you. You brought him up earlier to a little while ago, and then he came up in her thing. And I'm just. Do we have to do Stephen uh, or what's his name uh, Dinesh D'Souza's uh, movie output at some point, Dave? Oh God. I mean, it's so. <laughs> oh. I mean, I don't know. Let's let's think about that. That's really. <laughs> do you, Do you guys know like D'Souza's history? Like he was the head I of don't. this Dartmouth magazine in the eighties. He was a Dartmouth. Um, uh, I think Laura Ing Inger or Ingram. I think might have been there with him. Um, don't Don't shoot me if I'm wrong. But he was doing stuff like, if I recall correctly, outing gay students and things mm. like really vicious stuff. Uh, in you know Jeez. the middle of AIDS paranoia, um, so he's like um, quite a quite a figure to explore yeah, in light of the history. Yeah, I know. It just seems so. He's it's one of those things. He's just such a friggin' dope. It, yeah, and like it, yeah, consciously so. He's so yeah. condescending. He basically thinks people are idiots and that he's going to make yeah, money off while, them. It, that's basically yeah. all it is. So anyway, here's here's let let's get into it because this one always just blows my mind as though somehow I mean her being four years old and grappling with the concept that institutions change over vast periods of time. But um, if that one's hard for you to gra grapple with, you will you might fall for this argument. But uh, let's let's here's here's a little bit of her intro. When you think about racial equality and civil rights, which political party comes to mind? The Republicans or the Democrats? Most people would probably say the Democrats, but this answer is incorrect. Yes, it is not. Do you know why? Uh, mm, it's hard to hard to. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I mean, but they still do this. It's this 2023. Is, this is something you see online from right wingers all the time. Sure, like they, you know, this is one of their things. The uh, Democrats were against, you know, fucking. It's just, 
it's like, it's, it's up there. So... The only other one that's just as good is when they find out that the Nazis were, you know, the National Socialist Workers. Party. Like, <laughs> oh, see, uh, socialism. Yeah, socialism. Yeah. <laughs> Hitler was a such socialist. A silly argument. Yeah. I know. Well, that's why we wanted it's to get insulting. like a a, a, a world renowned historian to come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you, like Josh, I think you you put it in a nutshell. Institutions change over time, and like she she says something at one point in there that um, Democrats didn't elect the first black congressman, their first black congressman, because um, Republicans had earlier until 1935, and like yeah, what changed in the 20s and the 30s was that the Democratic <laughs> yeah. Party was undergoing a shift towards a more progressive vision that was organized around sort of northern urban populations that was did begin to incorporate African Americans into its constituency. So the party began to change in the 1930s, even as it once held on to its Dixiecrat, you know, Strom Thurmond wing until the 60s, right? And it's just like to- a total elision of all of this stuff in any... Um, serious way and it's just so insulting that's what i think jumped out to me that how insulting these videos are to people's intelligence it's just so condescending and so but somehow they work you know and um uh because i guess in a sense they're creating an argument in which you get to speak to you get to take this argument and go out and speak to somebody else like they're an idiot somehow I mean, just the logic here is is on par with like O.J. Simpson, you know, is like uh, uh, you, you might think O.J. Simpson is a terrible person for murdering his wife. But did you know? Right. <laughs> He's yeah. actually not. He's a good person because he was a great football player or something. It's crazy. Anyway, she gets yeah. into the Klan, which is fun. Little little known fact, apparently, uh, the Dem- Klan, the Klan was a Democratic organization. That was- and how was all of this enforced? By terror much of it instigated by the Ku Klux Klan, founded by a Democrat, Nathan Bedford Forrest. As historian Eric Foner, himself a Democrat, notes, in effect, the Klan was a military force serving the interests of the Democratic Party. Mind boggled. I I love that. The way she like, she's like, Nathan Bedford Forrest, who is bad because he's a Democrat. And then Foner is like talking about the Democratic Party. So it's like the tension is literally on the surface. Why is Eric Foner bashing the Democratic Party if Democrat Eric Foner is doing this? So like there's a tension there that she doesn't Mm -hmm. explore at all, obviously. Um, And it's just – shows again this sort of way it insults the audience and then she brings it up to sort of uh, uh more recent history and she does a thing that i always really love uh, when she gets into lbj um let's let's hear this clip and when all of their efforts to enslave blacks keep them enslaved and then keep them from voting had failed the democrats came up with a new strategy if black people are going to vote they might as well vote for democrats as President Lyndon Johnson was purported to have said about the Civil Rights Act, I'll have them as voting Democrat for 200 years. She, she's using uh, the N word no, there. As, there's no proof that he said that one. <laughs> well, he, here's he the did, f- but that that exact quote is not is that one they can't find the source of. There's other quotes where he used it. In- yeah, that's what's interesting sure. about Johnson, right? He was a racist guy from Texas who nevertheless yeah. promoted one of the great civil rights legislation. I mean, you might call it the dialectic of enlightenment. But instead of using this as a sort of entry point into a, a complex discussion about something like that, it's just 
tarring and feathering with as broad a brush as humanly possible and as unsophisticated yeah. a brush as humanly possible. Well, by the way, you know, you know who else thinks um, her line of reasoning is absolutely moronic? Dennis Me? Prager. And we live in the age of, of <laughs> real, I have to say, I'm sorry, the age of stupidity because people actually think feelings are more important, but they're not. How people behave is infinitely more important than how they feel. That's why when I'm told, oh, well, we heard that so-and-so said in, in a private conversation, this reporting of private conversations is, is an example of, of the age of stupidity in which we live. I don't care what people say privately. I care what they say publicly and what they do, but not what they say privately. Say whatever you want privately. So she, she may want to have a word with the dean of Prager University on that one. <laughs> he then goes on to explain why it doesn't matter that Trump's a racist, which, of course, he doesn't know that Trump is a racist, but it's a, it's a pretty interesting clip. Uh, here's one more piece from that. Democrats falsely claim that the Republican Party is the villain, when in reality, <laughs> it's the failed policies of the Democratic Party that have kept blacks down. Massive government welfare has decimated the black family. Opposition to school choice has kept them trapped in failing schools. Politically correct policing has left black neighborhoods defenseless against violent crime. What I liked about that one is there's no argument. It's just stating yeah, yes. like these culture war talking points. The other part was like this and this and therefore that. Mm -hmm. This is just like Boom, boom, boom. Culture war talking points. Boom, boom, boom. It doesn't even, at the end, it didn't even pretend. It's like, and this yeah. is why there is African-American poverty. Uh, poverty. It's because of the Democrats. That, that was the argument. No, no actual failed, argument. Failed Democratic policies. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not, and again, it's, it's, it just feels stupid to say stuff like this, but it doesn't come up to even the most basic rudimentary academic standard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. No, it's terrible. <laughs> And uh, this is a uh, tax-exempt uh, educational organization. Um, well, that I just want to start off with something ultimately brilliantly stupid, but actually they're all they're all kind of up there. Um, let's let's get into uh, uh, here's a fun one on um, who you have to thank if you live in freedom. You ready? You ready for this? Oh yeah, <laughs> this is a good one. For the last four hundred years, what power has done the most to spread the ideals of limited government, an independent judiciary, certain inalienable rights, and free markets? Would would that be white power? That power <laughs> would be the British Empire. <laughs> well, there so, you go. <clears throat> there you this go. Is also a British weird Empire. One, uh, who, who is this for? Who the hell? Yeah, so like, let's, I, it, it's such a weird thing. Yeah, yeah it is. And really I don't, odd. So this is H.W. Crocker III. He's uh, a conservative Catholic. Um, he's written, uh, what is this book? The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Civil War, uh, Robert E. Lee on Jesus. Leadership. Um, three volumes Christ. on Custer. <laughs> wow. That's uh, the fourth coming out. And don't can you imagine three volumes on George Armstrong Custer and don't tread on me a 400 year history of America at war from Indian fighting to terrorist hunting, which he said he wrote because I wanted to bust a lot of myths about American history, including the myth of the Indian as a noble savage, 
the myth that America has always been a non-imperial power, the myth that the Southern Confederacy was wrong, the myth that the American military relies on big battalions rather than on extraordinary individual courage and skill of the American fighting man, the myth that we lost the Vietnam War, parens, we won oh, yeah, and the Democratic one. Congress shamefully gave it away, and the myth that the Iraq War is, I guess this is what he said, it, a disaster among others. Uh, he also stated that if he had been around in 1861, he would have sided with the Confederacy. <laughs> For states' rights reasons, I imagine. Like Robert E. Lee, oh. I would have opposed secession, but opposed even more the idea or the reality of killing my fellow Americans to keep them within the Union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. This okay. Is, how does someone like this sleep at night? It is like the uh, worst yeah. of the worst type of positions yeah. to, to take. It is morally abhorrent. He's, to defend the Confederacy. Um, That's like defending Nazis. Yeah, it's and, the literal and, equivalent. Yeah. Yeah. And so so here's the guy. Um, this is this is yeah, you're right. Why why this? Why why would well this goes to like Dennis Prager's got this weird fixation with kind of old school morality. He's always going on about Judeo Christian values, but he's also always trying to wrap them in to give them kind of a secular basis as well, I guess. Yeah. So that should we talk can... about Judeo-Christian values now, or should we save that? Oh, we're going to get to them. Don't worry. Okay. But um, let's 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 get into how great the uh, the uh, the British Empire was. Freedom was an Englishman's right, and wherever he went, he took that right with him. Whether he was an English colonist in America, governing himself through a locally elected assembly, or an English adventurer like Sir Stamford Raffles, oh. creating the free market city-state of Singapore or an English officer like T.E. Lawrence, leading Arab tribesmen against the Turks. The British always thought of themselves as liberators, as bringers of freedom. The British believed the final and necessary justification of their empire was a moral one. The British kept the peace. They brought sound, honest administration. And they insisted that basic moral standards were honored. I mean... <laughs> Can I before you get it? In, like the British so... believed that they were bringing more of that. Is that is that is, does he actually believe that other colonizers did not believe they were acting from a moral position? This that that somehow... this is it's so crazy. <laughs> what he's saying is so crazy to me that I don't understand what's happening. That he can just say it without. I mean, there had to have been texts. He's like, I right, stop. I keep laughing. Stop. I got to do this again. <laughs> like, but like he brings up a examples of what they were as if to make his point but it makes the opposite point that raffles guy is like a classic example of of someone who just sort of took credit for what he did not do um he was he was a of spectacular asshole uh he essentially was a sex trafficker he he brought women from all like over like 500 women or something just so this crazy weirdo could fuck them like <laughs> did not he, know he this was, time. yeah yeah he was like con he like you know he, classic colonialism just conquering and destroying but then he he he's like known for like having founded singapore but he didn't he was there for like 30 days puts was a total fuck up put another guy in charge who then did it and did everything and then he got back and he was like oh this guy's done a really good job i have to get rid of him and then he 
took credit for founding Singapore when he's not the guy who did it. He's, he's just a hundred percent fraud, bullshit asshole. Like he's just a terrible human being. He, he'd be a great dollop. He is, he's just exceptionally awful. But he believed he was hero. moral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They had to, they had to kill the savages. I mean, that's, that's, right. Just yeah, it's the imperialist right argument. I mean, it's like literally what someone said in 1820. I mean, what 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 a liberal British imperialist would would say is that what they're doing is bad, but it's necessary for human progress and human civilization. That's essentially yeah. what he's saying, right? He's like, they, they did do this, but like it got us the good things. Niall Ferguson later, it's a much more sophisticated version of that, where he mm-hmm. he he admits the sort of traumas of the empire but says that it was still a step forward this guy is just operating in the literal 19th century without like any yeah. thought to something else now ferguson's more way more sophisticated version of this that's, a, that's a that's a horrifying thing to say <laughs> <laughs> we, we will get to him they were under no illusions about making arabs or afghans right. or zulus into englishmen they were more than that <laughs> To leave people alone, to let them be themselves, <laughs> to govern them with the lightest possible hand. What the fuck? What? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's, what it's, the it's, fuck? It's totally wrong. Yeah, it's it's just <laughs> flat out not true. Please just by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and then and then it's also and how racist. did they govern? Please. Yeah, I mean, what I mean he's honestly, doing, God, my my big yeah, go ahead. What he's doing. So there is this argument that the British Empire was unique in that they. That, that even if like over time they did settle large spaces, they were re- really like founding, particularly in, in the British British India, the Raj, sort of these like cities on the coast and then would like kind of allow people on the inside to govern themselves. Um, but it's just not true. And then he basically wants to make sure that they're not responsible for genocide. Uh, and then like in to- total, totally ignoring like the Church- Churchill's famine on the subcontinent, the many mm-hmm. brutalities of British slavery, uh, the total extraction of resources from colonies to the benefit of the metropole, the awful conditions of things like slave ships, um, to basically present this thing as a positive good. And it's just, again, it's just a lie, or at the best, you could say a quarter truth, you know? And it's, it's again, insulting to people. I think you're going to get that a lot. Yeah. These videos are insulting. <laughs> That's yeah. that's a good word for it. I really did my my fear in doing this that was that eventually just it would just devolve into me and Dave and our guest cackling what the fuck as we played clips. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we did make it thirty minutes before that happened. The British enforced a Pax Britannica, putting down pirates, taming headhunters, and keeping the peace between previously warring tribes and religions. Right. I mean, the old argument for imperialism, right? Like the British come in and then help the locals uh, civilize themselves. It's literally 1820. He could be talking, he could be writing in Punch in like 1848 or whatever, that British magazine. Yeah. That's what the, that's when you think of the British and colonialism, you think about all the peace they brought. (laughs) (laughs) While respecting and often ruling through local leaders, the British still insisted on certain Judeo-Christian moral standards. They were not, we in that respect, multiculturalists. They had a firm sense of right and wrong. See, there you go. That's. 
But it is, you, yeah. you got a point. He is, he is looking at it from the perspective that they looked at it at the time. Right. And he's had, he's had uh, at least a few decades <laughs> to I mean, reflect that's on the... some of the mistakes. You would think that... Uh... <laughs> I, right. that, that, I mean, that's yeah, but... the thing. You, I, you, you brought up, like, it, it is a total lack of sophistication. It's like, he can't, he's not even smart or clever enough to have, like, a modern-day uh, argument for this. It's just this... Because we know that everyone knows the history now. There's nobody that's like, yeah, no, he's making a good point. It's right. all there. Right. And this is what makes Niall Ferguson much more sophisticated because his argument is that every human being does things like murder and pillage. What was different yeah. was that you also got this. That's a much more, this being like Western Enlightenment and, and that's good right. for the world. That's a much more sophisticated argument that admits the violence of empire, but basically says it was worth it. This guy is just making up, again, telling a quarter of the story from the subject yeah. position of an 1845 British imperialist. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously naive. I didn't realize there were that many of these people still around. And I was <laughs> they're really, uh, not. I, I was startled I mean, at like, the response to, well, but, but I, there's, there's, I, I still think I stand by the best movie of the year. Uh, RRR, the Indian film. Um, that uh, it's just a wild day scene. I don't know if you've, have you seen it, Danny? Have you seen it yet? Yeah, I saw parts of it. You said, I saw parts of it, get out of here. But uh, uh, they caught so much, there was there was <laughs> such an uproar on social media of pe by people for the fact that this movie that is set in the, what is it, late, no, no, early, early 20th century in India, portrays the British as just, you know, evil fanged villains that are, they're portrayed like Nazis. Who steal like watching the movie, Like, yeah, that's, that's how they went. People were just out. How dare they portray the British uh, so, this way? So who was outraged? Like, like what, like group, uh, like basically very right wing. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that anybody was just boggled my mind. I thought like Hillary that, Clinton you know, wouldn't agree with this, you know, like, like Boston yeah. <laughs> Democrat would not agree with this. It, it like, it, I think very correct. far right would agree with this. Yeah. I think she, even Niall Ferguson doesn't agree with this. Him. <laughs> you know, like. by the way say what you will about nile he's seen all of rrr danny um yeah i bet he has let's, one, one last word here from this gentleman on dave and uh, my favorite people even where the british have merited criticism as in ireland there's more to the imperial story during negotiations to create the irish republic for instance british prime minister david lloyd george who could speak welsh reminded the Irish nationalist and Gaelic extremist Eamon de Valera that the Celts never had a word for republic. Well, there you go. It was an idea given to them by the English. Whoa. <laughs> That's such a crazy thing to say. Like the Irish exception. How are you going to have an IRA without the word republic? I just can't even like it's when I heard that I was just my brain broke. I'm just like, what is going on right now? Like <laughs> the people you conquered, they didn't have the name Republic on the tip of their tongues. I just can't like there's a couple Jesus funny things about Christ. this one. One, the Irish, like, yeah, okay, fine. They were bad in Ireland, i.e. against other white people is the subtext there. Like, he'll admit that. Ah, good but point. But then he wants to have good his cake point. and... That's a good point. Do you know who you have on? Uh, but then uh, he also 
tries to have his cake and eat it too and be like, but actually the English are better. But this is actually kind of um, an uh, interesting thing because one of the things that a lot of Western European countries do, I'm sure you guys have been to like Western Europe, is you'll often see that they'll have some sort of portrayal of like a Celtic leader meeting a Roman leader or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the national histories of these places basically say they're the best of Rome with the best of sort of indigenous, indigenous Celts, sort of socialist communist we're in it for a people politics so like even the english like the 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 far right of of like the uk like now they might be a little different but there's a far right tradition of basically glorifying the celts and being as like we made it better we transcended sort of the logic of rome with the the hardiness and communality of the celtic peoples so this is just like a totally confusing american inflected you know thing that doesn't make sense at all, even even by the terms of a, the far right wing it's it's just it's just so f- fucking stupid i mean that that's the <laughs> like that's the thing about it it's I, I, like it's like you can't you don't just get to like they didn't have the term republic yeah they have a different history and a different timeline also you know fighting amongst themselves and then conquered by you like it's just the fucking craziest shit yeah i don't know why they didn't have what you had it had nothing to do with your uh, your interference at all? <sighs> well, let's let's uh, let's move on. I believe uh, Danny actually knows our next gentleman. Uh, am I correct, Daniel? Andrew yeah, we Roberts. overlapped. Uh, I I did a year in Ithaca. I was a postdoc there, and Andrew Roberts was a um, I believe a faculty fellow uh, at my year. Guys, so we've done a couple uh, of times. Did you guys hang out at coffee shops? And uh... <laughs> we did. We did not hang out with coffee shops. Well, do you know? Do you know? Uh, do you know how you have to? Uh, uh, if you ran into Andrew Roberts today, do you know how you would have to address him? Please tell me. Because uh, as of last year, thanks to uh, gone but never forgotten Boris Johnson, uh, Andrew Roberts is now Baron Roberts of Belgravia. <laughs> um, do you want me to give a little bit of a description of this guy, dude? Would that make you heal? I mean, he's a uh, uh, kind of yeah. Give a description. Well, I would yeah. say extremely right wing. He hangs out with uh, the National Front, which, if you don't know about, oh them, Jesus, they, yeah, sort of the British version of kind of a cross between the Klan and uh, Nazis. Um, he's spoken to uh, uh, he's spoken at dinner of the Springbok Club, a group that regards itself as the shadow white government of South Africa. Um, oh my God! Yeah, the National Front uh, policy. Josh, uh, they nutshell, did play Fun City. <laughs> they, yeah, <laughs> uh, National Front. We want our countries back, and believe this can now only come about by the reestablishment of civilized European rule throughout the African continent. Oh. Um, he's a big fan of massacring civilians. Uh, do you know about the arm? I did not know about this. The arm, Amrit, Amrit. Uh, Amritsar Massacre. It's one of the ugliest episodes in the history of the British Raj. Um, and uh, he has defended the slaughtering of uh, hundreds and hundreds, uh, actually 10,000 uh, unarmed Indians. Um, he's just, he's worth digging into. And if you were, say, going to any university, I think, even uh, the, the, the most right-wing one in America, and you saw the stuff this guy believed, you might have second thoughts about letting him uh, near your brain. But um, this is the he's guy very, that he, he's just yep. quickly. He's very much kind of like a 1950s national review guy because he's at the sure. very outer edge of acceptable 
like he he's published last time i checked in like mainstream british magazines right he'll like do reviews and stuff so he is not like off he at least last time i checked in the uk he's like still in the circle of what people will allow to publish maybe that's changed but certainly when he was at cornell he was at that level and this is your coffee buddy (laughs) yeah (laughs) hey like we we talked about a lot of things matrix the girls you know (laughs) things that broke our hearts but uh, so this is the guy, yeah, that the exceedingly moral Dennis Prager has on to argue the merits and explain what, after all, here's the question, one I ask myself frequently, what is the Cold War? But it was certainly not cold for the Cubans, Koreans, Vietnamese, and others who got caught up in the communists' relentless drive to destabilize the free, democratic, capitalist world. Yeah, I mean, that's basically it. I can't think of any I can't think of any um, sort of examples of maybe the opposite of that happening like um, I don't know all of South America I can't really think of any situations where the capitalists went absolutely bug fuck and killed everybody who was a leftist I have no I have no Operation Condor in my vocabulary it gets so wild on that that specific point But the Cold War was, at its core, as clear a conflict of good versus evil as World War II had been. Just like that war, the Cold War was a death match between the forces representing freedom and the forces representing totalitarianism. We... (laughs) We We put human beings in concentration camps in South America and that, you know, that doesn't even go into like Indonesia and everything fucking like, it's just insane that you can say this out loud. What, what is served by, by this, by, by trying to portray it in such incredibly simplistic terms? I mean, that just seems. So I think a lot of this, a lot of the the people in Prager, and I think this is kind of what unites them is, is there kind of war products of the war on terror? at least in their modern mm-hmm. instantiation. So a lot of these people believe that the, the quote-unquote West needs to rule the world or barbarism will reign. And I think that's what unites someone like Prager, who really is focused traditionally on the Middle East, with someone like Roberts, who basically wants to say that like the Western empire is necessary for global governance. So that's who I think is served, the people who want the U.S. to rule the world now and forever. And I and I and, wonder because you know we're going to be talking about him a lot over the next few weeks as as he is the man whose name hangs on the door of this university. But Prager is like, I, I should put a clip here. I should have pulled it earlier, but I got a great clip of him going basically. I I really don't like evil. Um, <laughs> he he thinks in these terms. Like you wonder yeah. sometimes if maybe this guy is is yanking your chain. Maybe maybe not. Prager seems sincere with that shit. He genuinely seems to believe that there's um you know i think think he's going to fight with this shit or something i think i think that's very common for these these people on the right i think it's really they really do think it evil like you know yeah it's war on terror thinking you know that that was like a really big cold war you know you had the 90s interregnum when the U.S. was like trying to save the world, the responsibility to protect all of that stuff, and then once uh, September 11th happened, you get right back to the return to this Manichaean dualistic way of thinking. 
But uh, let's so how who who who's responsible is the question. Who who started the Cold War is my big question. The instigator of this war was Joseph Stalin, the mass murdering uh. dictator of Russia and of the many non-Russian peoples he had incorporated into what was known as the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, or Soviet Union for short. Stalin knew that his Soviet armed forces could not take on the might of the free West. Instead, he decided to wage this fight through the use of proxies and by a massive use of disinformation and misinformation. Yeah, so, like, again, this flattening of an incredibly complex historical reality. Like, Stalin was not blameless for the Cold War by any stretch of the imagination. But the, 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 the U.S. did just as much, I would probably argue, because it was so much more powerful it was actually more morally responsible for the for the creation of the Cold War, um, but it did just as much as, as the Soviet Union. When Stalin threatened both Greece and Turkey, President Harry Truman finally had enough. The so-called Truman Doctrine was born. The United States and its allies would not permit any further expansion of the communist empire. The Cold War was on. That seems sort of true. I mean, he's giving it a moral context, that's, but am I, am I wrong? No, no, no. You're, those, I were mean, it, those were events that happened. <laughs> no, no, for sure. But it, it wasn't like, oh, now we can't let the, the grubby Soviets get away with it. it. It was this incredibly complex two-year-long process that involved various right. moves made by, by both uh, countries in Berlin in particular and in Germany in particular um, that sort of snowballed. Uh, until you get the announcement of the Truman Doctrine in March 1947. But it's just like doesn't take account of the historical reality whatsoever or what was going on and lays the United States as both completely blameless and then like sort of be ha having to do it. You know, like you couldn't possibly let Stalin do this, which is embedded in no a notion that the United States should govern the world. So it's all of these assumptions that just go like are assumed to be correct that make it totally historically illiterate. Yeah. yeah, let me let me ask you. Do you think it's possible to do a five minute video that explains the Cold War? That's um... <laughs> probably not. Isn't the entire exercise inherently uh, fraudulent? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought about how movies influence your values and perspective? How the ideological messages baked into some of your favorite films might inform your politics more than actual politics? Then you should check out our podcast, Movies vs. Capitalism. I'm Rivka Rivera. I'm an actor, playwright, and artist educator. And I'm Frank Capello. I'm a writer, producer, and political content creator. Each week on Movies vs. Capitalism, Frank and I are joined by a guest for a fun yet critical discussion about a movie and how it's obviously a scathing indictment of late-stage capitalism. Yeah, like how Office Space is a comedy about worker alienation. Or how Ants is a kid's movie about the military-industrial complex. You've Got Mail is really a psychological thriller about the effects of market consolidation. Yeah, You've Got Mail is seriously fucked up. Yeah, it is super fucked up. Movies vs. Capitalism is produced by The Lever, a reader-supported investigative news outlet. You can listen and subscribe at mvcpod.com or search for Movies vs. Capitalism in your podcast player. And we'll see you at the movies. Yeah, uh, the podcast. Yeah, the podcast about movies and capitalism. Ooh, movies versus capitalism. But they, I mean, they 
conservatives love, love, love simplicity. They yeah. want it really, really simple. And so this really speaks to their, their brains. But I think that's that that goes to the problem with, you know, you're always going sort of why isn't there a leftist version of Prager University? And it's not that it wouldn't be biased, it's not that it wouldn't be inaccurate often. It's that the there's a a rejection of that notion that you can boil things like this down into five minutes and be accurate. Well, I mean the the Gravel Institute is the closest thing we have. Um that you know, but it, it comes down to funding. Like, who's who's going to fund yeah. the lefties to put out this propaganda? But they have some really good videos. They're much more complex and thoughtful. Yeah, That's I have a problem. question: Are are do, do podcasts have a left and liberal bias? I imagine they do, right? I imagine yeah. that there are more successful liberal and left wing podcasts than right wing podcasts. Is that correct? Uh, I you know I don't know. I mean, like. Where's ben Joe Shapiro Rogan has a popular on one. Uh, uh, Joe Rogan's, I would say, right. Um, I would say center right, though, right? So, like within yeah. the bounds of mm-hmm. acceptable yeah. discussion, definitely. I uh, there are definitely popular, like the big names, the the Charlie Kirks and the, the Ben Shapiro's um, have bigger ones. But as far as like just a ton, like there's a bunch of leftist podcasts. There's definitely very successful very successful liberal podcasts. Yeah. I, I, so I would say like podcasting because it's, it, it's a form that naturally lends itself to sort of like talky complexity that right. I bet it is more popular. There, there are more on the liberal left. And I bet you if you like tallied up every ideology, it would be more on the liberal side and left side. Yeah. I think uh, like the, I think the, the model before podcasting that's the perfect example would be NPR radio type stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And even Rogan has like, he's into like drugs, you know, and sort of, yeah. like he, I mean, Rogan's politics don't really map on to left and right. Really. It's like odd. this very yeah. American, you know, left and right comes from Europe. Rogan's like a very American figure. It doesn't really, not yeah. in this sort of like, we have to move beyond left and right. It's just that like, it's more American than anything, I would say. Like this yeah. peculiar sort of like freeholder, drugged out, but like individualist, masculine, you know, thing that is really unique to this wonderful country. <laughs> <laughs> There are, nonetheless, as there were even at the time, those who argue that the Cold War was an overreaction by the West, that the ambitions and strength of the Soviet bloc were greatly exaggerated, and that America, with its massive defence build-up, was just as responsible for the Cold War as was the Soviet Union. But this simply isn't true. As an immense amount of archival evidence from Russia, not available until after the Cold War ended, this is weird because the most famous use uh, of the Russian archives is this book by these guys, Zubek and, and Pleshikov, um, which basically makes the opposite point. So I'm, I'm very curious what he's referring to, because the big book on this is like, actually, the Soviets were more willing to pursue detente than we had thought. Um, so I really wonder what he's actually referring to. There's a book called Is, we is now he just know. coasting on the fact that Julius and Ethel Rosenberg turn out to have been I guess engaged I, uh, with the Soviets? Is that uh, like... Well, Josh, Ethel was not. 
as far as I know. It was just Julia. So like oh, hers, like what do I even know? if well, you know what I'm saying, like that argument. that came out. That was supposed to be the end of the argument forever for all of us on the entire Cold War. And you're kind right. of sitting there going, yeah. And so, but he refers specifically <laughs> yeah. to Russian archives. So I, I, I would actually be curious what he's talking about. <laughs> yes, the Soviet Union could not have beaten the U.S. in a head-to-head confrontation, but it didn't have to. Victory in the Cold War would have allowed it, through intimidation and subversion, to dominate the globe, making communism, rather than democracy and capitalism, the preeminent ideology. That's, you know, that's the old argument. Commie's going commie's to take it all. Yeah, which there were is many times, There were many times during the five decades of the war that it seemed like this would be the case. But thanks primarily to the strong leadership shown by Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, and Pope John Paul II, the Cold War <laughs> ended not with a bang, but a whimper. That's uh, exactly great. how I remember it. Yeah, this <laughs> the is the greats. 80s arguments. Yeah, it's it's like, first of all, it's kind of funny he put John Paul II in there. You know, like yeah. one of these things usually isn't included in, in this list. Um, and that that I thought was interesting. I wonder, there's, I wonder if there's like a Catholic connection there. Um, mm. that, uh, I don't know. But um, the, uh, all the scholarship suggests that it was mostly internal Soviet issues, even if the Reagan buildup did have an effect on what the Soviet Union Gorbachev felt that he could spend money on. But again, I, I, I would be curious to what scholarship he is referring here, because it's just like not the consensus, even if you're on the right, you know, because you can make the conservative argument, which is that the Soviet Union fell because communism was unworkable. Uh, you don't need the Reagan won the Cold War argument. It's, it's, again, it's related to this like, America needs to rule the world thing. Does he even need to have any scholarship to back it up? Or, uh, can't he just say this shit because n- no <laughs> one's going to like check? Like, really? It's Prager U. There's not going to be someone be like, all right, hold on there. Well, let's see your resources. Like, I, I just don't see, you know, you can just say that. Well, the, the, the libraries got opened up, and now here's what I'm going to say they added them. Yeah, I, I think that's precisely right. Communism had failed in every possible way, economically, politically, morally. It had tried to create a utopia on Earth and instead created hell for all of the nations <laughs> that came under its sway. Yeah, it's just so... <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> it's just so, so unsophisticated. Oh. It's just so like, dog brain, man. I just yeah. It's uh, just so it's, unserious. Uh, <laughs> it really is. It's just incredibly stupid. Like, also those things he just named uh, the you know all the turmoil and the, uh, that's what America is now essentially. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's absurd. Uh, well, let's let's move on to something uh, some sort of related. Um, uh, let's talk about Gloria Alvarez for a minute, Dave. You've, uh, you, uh, she's a political scientist and a radio broadcaster, and she's done a few of these for uh, Brother Prager. Um, you found some interesting stuff about her. Yeah, so she um, she clearly comes from a, a wealthy family. Um, her, her father. Our grandfather worked um, under, I think it was grandfather. Uh, he was uh, 
a, a righty in Cuba uh, working with Batista, um, worked for Nestle, and then um, the family, and either her, the father or her, uh, then they started, you know, doing a lot of work in Guatemala for Nestle. Um, uh, he, he, yeah, the other side of her family, her, her mom's side, um, the classic uh, uh, white, uh, they married the Hungarian side of the family, so now they're, now they're the, the light-skinned people in uh, Central America doing terrible things. Um, so she had a lot of uh, wealth and connections, and she, you know, got her own radio show at 19 in, um, oh, wow. in Guatemala. Um, and, and then, you know, became like this voice of the right. And it, it, she had her own TV show starting in 2015. And it's just all anti-commie. She, she, her list of, she interned at uh, the Cato Institute um, she has a postgraduate degree in a, applied anthropology, uh, from Sapensia de Roma University and, uh, a master's degree in leadership and public management, um, at the school of government in Guatemala. So she, she's just got tons of, uh, education cause she's clearly a rich kid who just goes, gets to go do that stuff. Um, her whole thing is against, um, any Venezuela, Cuba, like, you know, Evo Morales, like anybody who's left and had, and she talks about how to destroy them. Like that's her whole um, thing. So that's who she is. My favorite thing that she said during an interview, uh, she was asked about the Guatemalan genocide. If people don't know, um, under Reagan, uh, we helped to just um, annihilate uh, indigenous people in Guatemala. And she said, uh, quote, I wouldn't categorize what happened in Guatemala as a genocide. Actually, there's an industry of victimization that benefits <laughs> from recreating the conflict because of that. We never forgive. So uh, it's not genocide um, when they just killed hundreds of thousands of people in villages. Um, it's just victimization that they are. So that's where she's coming from. She's a uh, she's the classic. She's the classic South American right-wing, uh, not completely indigenous, you know, light-skinned, rich asshole, basically. The usual, the standards. And she, uh, she wants to uh, warn us about the perils of celebrating Che Guevara, which, I mean, most <laughs> of this was just a litany of, like, what an asshole Che was. I mean, Danny, you were, uh, what, what, why did this one leap out at you? And what? Uh... Just because this is, like, the classic thing that you always get on the Latin American rights. And I was just interested to see how they would portray um, Che. And it was basically what you would expect, sort of like naive, immature, and whatnot. And this one I probably had the least to say about than all of them, but I, I thought I chose a couple of clips that uh, might be interesting. To yeah, yeah, here's one about uh, Cuba's economy. People have long forgotten that Cuba in the 1950s, before Fidel and Che took over, was one of the strongest economies in Latin America. According to a 1957 UN report, the average wage for an eight-hour day in Cuba is higher than for workers in Belgium, Denmark, France, and Germany. Right. So this whole thing, again, it's like this half-truth thing where, like, she's pointing to these macroeconomic statistics, but then this leaves open, like, right. oh, my God, why would there be a revolution? Everyone was so happy and rich and wealthy, <laughs> right? It, it, it's just, like, ridiculous 
half half of the story thing that, that doesn't say anything about Batista or his connections to the United States or the way Cuba has been treated as a colony by Spain and then the United States and just totally ignores why someone like Castro might have been able to succeed in a revolution. Um, and so again, and do they ignore that or do they have some weird, is it just communism? Is that their answer? It's just, it's communism. Is that video? There like, wasn't any how, how they explain it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It wasn't in this video well, they, at least. I mean, you know, she also leaves out the fact that her family, you know, worked under Batista and was, you know, connected to that. So, you know, probably landowners, I would assume, and, you know, stripped of their oh, land yeah. and everything else. Like, it's a, it, this, this is what they always are. They, it's always personal with them. They always lost land. Um, right. Yeah. And I'm sure they were trading people great on that land, you know. No doubt. <laughs> what may be worse than Chess endless lies about himself is that so many people lied for him. I'm talking about the left-leaning journalists, academics, and A-list Hollywood stars and directors. They are the ones who built up, marketed, and have perpetuated the constellation of falsehoods that surround the hate-filled revolutionary. Why did they do it? One simple reason. Because Chess personifies anti-Americanism hatred for the united states that's what the che obsession is really all about so i just wanted to ask you guys as hollywood as hollywood elites why do you like hate so much yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. to get into the guilds you have to say how much you love america <laughs> i mean that's that's that is fair that's what i thought but i just wanted to confirm <laughs> Uh, it's a really, bizarre thing to say. It's a crazy. <laughs> it's thing to so say. bizarre, whole, right? It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Her, yeah. Her whole her whole thing, uh, her main uh, thing is against populism, which you know left wing populism is as she she is always attacking it. So I, I but it's still strange to me that she is a Guatemalan talking head, and she's saying the stuff about America. Knowing the history, the recent history of what we've done down there, it's so crazy to me that you would make these points. You ju I just wonder how big her following is Th to make this video. It's just like the America has just fucked over Guatemala so badly. I don't know. The anti-Americanism is not just a left wing thing in Latin America. You know, because it's again, it's been so yeah. dominated right. by the United yeah. States for so long that it's like a peculiar type of right winger who is yeah. pro-American in this way, right? Because like even the center right in Latin America is not like we love the United States. Like the <laughs> right. dictator Porfirio Diaz, the famous quote, you know, Mexico so close, uh, so close, so far from God, so close to the United States. Porfirio Diaz was not on the left, right? So that's what also makes this so strange. In the yeah. Latin American context, <laughs> all this stuff is like strange, right? Like, I think that's what I wanted to right. highlight in my picks. Like, these are people who like don't even yeah. quite fit on the right in a lot of situations. It's like this peculiar politics in the Prince Prager you talked. It's more interesting than just like weirdo right wingers. It's stranger right. than that. That's why well, they show up. This. I mean, yeah. Ben Ben Shapiro sure, has done yeah, some of, of these course. things, and you'll you'll get those guys. But yeah, it's like I you wonder where he found these people, and yeah, I I don't know. Um, 
the next one is interesting. It, it's because uh, uh, this guy, who's Father Wilson Miss Campbell, I believe it's the only one this guy has done. He's a fairly conservative Catholic. This is, um, and and there's nothing particularly remarkable. A real deal historian, like real historians. He is. Like I knew him. Yeah. You did. Okay. Not personally, but I knew he, who he, he was. Yeah. His 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 five minute thing is on uh, whether or not it was wrong to drop the bomb uh, on Hiroshima, Hiroshima, and. Um, you know, this one didn't strike me as, uh, I don't know. You know, let's, let, you know, let's it, play you know it. what struck me is you're just total erasure of Nagasaki right there. Like yeah, exactly. Hiroshima. No, no, no. This is not an argument. This is, I didn't want to say anything that struck me too. <laughs> it's, it's not, but this is, this is a, uh, perspective that's pretty common, um, you know, amongst liberals as well as conservatives it's not like he's taking some fringe view and trying to normalize it here which which i think makes it interesting actually such as that written by members of the so-called atomic diplomacy school these historians disgracefully alleged that truman proceeded to drop two atomic bombs on a japan which he knew was on the verge of surrender so as to intimidate the soviet union in the already developing cold war that specious interpretation must be refuted fully. Must it? So this is what was interesting to me about it, because I think that there was a time in the 60s when people overstated that argument and they made the claim that the U.S. dropped the bombs to intimidate the Soviets. But I would think in 2023, mm -hmm. it, it was an element of the, this very complex decision-making process, right? Absolutely. U.S. decision-makers, when they dropped the bomb, did consider that question and didn't think it was the worst thing in the world to show Stalin that the United States was the most powerful nation on Earth and had world-ending weapons. I don't think it was the primary reason that they did. But I just found it interesting that he was so dismissive of it to call it disgraceful when it, I think, was an element of the strategic calculus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's taking a very sort of hard line. Yeah, um, it was strange his perspective. Yeah. All the viable alternate scenarios to secure American victory all would have meant significantly greater American and allied casualties and much higher Japanese civilian and military casualties. And that's the argument you always hear. Yeah. Right. And then this, to me, doesn't consider the question of you just opened Prometheus's box. Right. And this right. is this is this is the whole that's the important question about atomic bomb. Right. Is that those statements are true on its face, but that's not the question that people are really asking. Uh, no one thought that, like, if you kept the, no one thinks that if you didn't drop the atomic bombs uh, and the war kept on going, there wouldn't have been more deaths. Right. That's like obvious. The question, though, is, was it worth nuclearizing international relations? So, again, it's this, it's this sort of weird alighting of the actual question that is interesting about what he's talking about that I wanted to highlight. Right. And trying to portray opposing views as less sophisticated than they are. Right. Like less morally astute is, when he's not. It's not the argument that people are having. These these feel uh, so I was in radio for a little while and I, I was uh, taught how to do talk radio by a, an expert in the field. And it was always take your take your your stance, take your opinion and back it up no matter what and make that point. And these have a very 
talk radio feel to them. There's no nuance. There's no, it's, it's all one thing. It can't be anything else. It's all very direct, but it feels very right wing radio um, sort of topic. And that's fine. Well, that's but they're an education. That's where Prager thing. comes from. Right. That is where Prager comes from. And then I guarantee he you, a, he brought in people that he knew to produce. Yeah. Content. Yeah. Who knew could deliver on that front. And maybe he knew them from, from those days, but yeah, he was a very popular right wing radio talk show host in Los Angeles. Well, for yeah. Time. Cause he ha he has a good voice for radio, but his physical yeah. appearance is horrifying. <laughs> uh, it's like Josh, someone it's put a bomb inside of a ghost. <laughs> Prager U is classified as an educational nonprofit. Yeah, so that's that's what it is, right? So it's not a, a, a private um, a private group. They're a nonprofit, technically. Yeah, got it. Yeah, okay. but they approach everything like they're you know right. That's talk it. radio. Right, precisely. Truman's use of the bomb should be seen as his choosing the least awful of the options available to him, even in retrospect far removed from the pressures that Truman faced in 1945, his critics can offer no serious and convincing proposal regarding a viable and less costly alternative. The judgment of history is clear and unambiguous. The atomic bombs shortened the war, averted the need for a land invasion, saved countless more lives on both sides of the blood-soaked conflict than they cost, and ended the Japanese brutalization of the conquered peoples of Asia. Given the alternatives, what would any moral person have done in Truman's position? I do feel like he's leaving one thing out that uh, dropping that bomb caused that, you know, condemning the entire species to... Uh... <laughs> Frank, this is my question. If in 10 years there's a nuclear war, does does yeah. he change does he change his opinion and if the answer is yes then what he's doing here isn't presenting the argument fairly because you can't mm. just ignore the nuclearization of international politics as an outcome of dropping the atomic bomb you just can't right so he just is totally dismissive saying that no serious person could possibly be against the atomic bomb which means that he is valuing short term over medium and long term concerns but he never says it and that's the problem. Right. Yeah. So if if uh, going by this sort of argument, if uh, Pakistan is am amassing troops on the border and India drops a nuclear bomb, then that's good. Right. 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 Exactly. And like, at what level does that become bad? So I just wanted to on the level that. of Kissinger. <laughs> you should get him on the podcast. Uh, he was. Yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Still around. Still around. Dr. Um, pointed out. Someone pointed out that like the, the first honorary Harlem Globetrotter <laughs> on the list is Henry Kissinger. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh God. That's so good. Well, speaking speaking of Henry, nice nice segue into our next topic, which is uh, uh, the truth about the Vietnam War. I I want to say. Um, you know, we sent a bunch of these and basically gave gave Danny kind of free reign to pick the ones he wanted to discuss. And uh, th this gave me, Dave, do you remember this guy? I had memory hold Bruce Hershenson. I had not thought of him in decades. And he's this, this idiot had worked in the Nixon and the Reagan administration. 
and and he ran for Senate a couple times in California in the 80s and 90s. We can pop it up on TV. He ran against Barbara Boxer, and he was kind of a, he was very much a Pragerite. He was this kind of very, you know, this doe-eyed faux sincerity that, that very much reminds me of Prager. And um, he wasn't going to win against Boxer anyway, but he did get outed because he was very, you know, his brand on morality and family values and so forth. And he got outed as frequenting the Seventh Vale on Sunset Boulevard uh, here in Hollywood, which... Um, What's that? You know, it's a strip club. I mean, it's just a strip club. It's just a garden variety strip club, and God bless him, but uh, it, it, uh, that was not good for him. And I should say that the Vale is still there. Um, well, Bruce Hershenson now sleeps with the fishes, but... Uh, he, I was shocked. I literally had not thought of him in forever, and I saw his face, and I just I shuddered. I had this sort of momentary. Well, you're just, welcome, uh, Josh. <laughs> yeah. So, so thanks for that. But but he he came on to tell us the the truth about the Vietnam War, which is kind of like what is he like? We won it. Is that his? No. This is uh, this is something I've I've been seeing pop up. It's not that it's we 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 would have won it, but the Democrats in Congress stopped us from winning it that's the point well yeah i mean that that goes back to this gentleman do we get the win this time you know the great john rambo but uh let's let's jump into bruce hershenson on the vietnam war jesus god and remember this guy this guy came up under richard nixon announcing that the paris peace accords had been initialed by the united states south vietnam north vietnam the Viet Cong and the accords would be signed on the 27th. What the United States and South Vietnam received in those accords was victory. victory. That is wild. Even the people negotiating that <laughs> at the time did not think that they were achieving victory. The notion was this, that you would get a quote-unquote decent interval between the signing mm-hmm. of this and the fall of South Vietnam. That was like a right-wing thing. That was what Nixon and Kissinger wanted. So it is just absurd. Yeah. It, it, where, where does that come from? Is that a thing? Is I actually a, don't even know where this of the comes right from. That... There's been this like revisionism recently, but, but it's, in, it's interesting because at the actual time, the reason that they were able to like get out of Vietnam was that the right had turned against it by the, the, the right. early to mid-1970s. Right-wing people were like, this isn't really worth it any longer. So the effort to kind of rehabilitate Vietnam is, again, part of this like 90s and beyond project to make the U.S. be like the dominant imperial power. Because this is, again, this is, again, really far out there, even on the right wing. This is a really far out there position. Imagine how bad your war has to be going for the right wing to turn against it. Yeah, they decided like it wasn't worth it. They're like, these kids are protesting. You know, we're not even getting big defense contracts anymore. You get the 73 oil shock. And so now one of the big arguments as to why America did finally end it was because right-wing Congress people had turned against it. So again, this is just really far out. (laughs) Three months after his resignation came the November congressional elections, and within them, the Democrats won a landslide victory for the new Congress. And many of the members used their new majority to defund the military aid that the United States had promised peace for peace, breaking the commitment that we made to the South Vietnamese in Paris to provide whatever military hardware the South Vietnamese needed in case of aggression from the North. Put simply and accurately, 
a majority of Democrats of the 94th Congress did not keep the word of the United States. Again, this obsession with that's, Democrats. That's the Rambo position. Yeah, well, Rambo too. <laughs> yeah, Rambo yes. too. Uh, Rambo too. Yeah, Rambo. That's, that's the first one. Is called First, first Blood. Blood. First Blood. Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, sorry, I apologize. Um, again, the obsession with the Democrats, and then yeah. this: the United States should just funded this war for for infinity. I guess twenty one years wasn't enough. Nineteen fifty four <laughs> to nineteen seventy five. Bizarre position, even well, on the right. It's also just insane to think if we had just given them uh, money and weapons that they would have been fine. Like, what? Like, it's, it's all just, wild. none of it makes sense. If the South Vietnamese had received the arms that the United States promised, would the result have been different? It no. already had been different. <laughs> the North Vietnamese leaders admitted that they were testing the new president, Gerald Ford. And they took one village after another, then cities, then provinces. And our only response was to go back on our word. The U.S. did not resupply the South Vietnamese as we had promised. Again, 21 years, if the country falls in about 25 seconds, that to suggest the utility of the United States pouring. I mean, conservatives always talk about that there's yeah. no free lunch, uh, pouring tons of money and people into this war it, it, it again extreme even on the right very extreme yeah the u.s knew that north vietnam would violate the accords and so we planned for it what we did not know was that our own congress would violate the accords and violate them of all things on behalf of the north vietnamese that's what happened Again, it's like this traitor thing where, like, the, the Democrats are traitors and, and they did it on yeah. behalf of North Vietnam. It's, like, so wild. But you could here's, – here's my question because I just want to bring it back to this. If this were a real university, could, could you get away with teaching this? It would be tough. Um, I think – no. This, this one in particular, no. Probably actually all of them now. I'm trying to think. Miss um, Campbell, you could. That's like I get it. Even though I, was say, I, I bet, I bet you get away with that. Yeah, yeah but but yeah. but no. Th this is like historical malpractice. You would be lying. I think this is lying. Historical malpractice. Yeah. 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 Ten point no. seven um, million views, by the way. Yeah. What's that? That video. The vi the Vietnam one. Yeah. How many? That's so crazy. 10.7 million. That's so crazy. Wow. Bruce Hershenson getting 10 million views on a... Uh, well, let's, let's get... That can't be true. <laughs> Prager University is extraordinarily successful, and these things are passed all around Facebook and everywhere else. Like, this is how a lot of people are learning history. Yeah. Because people like Danny aren't stepping up <laughs> i know we're just falling yeah, down that, no that's true it's yeah. a million no, it, it's oh my god it's so many boomers just going see billy i told yeah. you yes and they put up this video <sighs> okay well let's let's get to uh someone that did that, 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 that the closest we have to an actual real academic in all of this a legitimate one is niall ferguson 
Um, and uh, he's got an interesting one called Why the West Won. According to folklore, Mahatma Gandhi was once asked what he thought of Western civilization. He replied that he thought it would be a good idea. This was supposed to be a joke, but forgive me for taking the other side. I think Western civilization was and is a good idea. This is the nearest thing to heresy that exists in modern academic life. At most universities in the English-speaking world, there are demands to decolonize the curriculum. As a result, fewer and fewer students now graduate with any understanding of what has differentiated the West from the rest of the world. They leave with the misleading view that the defining features of Western civilization are slavery, imperialism, and war. So I wanted to highlight this one because I don't think it's accurate. That I think people view, particularly let's talk about the history discipline as a left-wing discipline, and it's really not. It's really mm-hmm. center-left, and there's a lot of buy-in to the Western project. Of course, there, there are outliers who, who take it like a, a very um, strong decolonial or anti-colonial stance, but it's just not the median or the average. Of, yeah, of that's the what I want. It's, it's yes. It just isn't, yeah. you know, it factually isn't. So I just wanted to highlight that because this is something you always hear. Where like I'm by far among the leftier people in my subfield of history. Um, mm-hmm. And so, again, it's just like kind of not true. And he, he knows that it's not true, I would say. Yeah, the totality is not being rejected. They're just pushing at the edges and we are starting to expand our, our, our view of these things. It's not the same thing as an outright rejection, but... Uh, that is the paranoid view of it, of course, is that um, this is the same thing. You know, as soon as you start teaching Toni Morrison in class, uh, uh, we'll be outlawing white people is sort of the right the, <laughs> the extreme version of this. Well, I think the idea is like you're only learning Franz Fanon or, you know, Amiri Baraka right. or Angela Davis and not learning like Max Weber, you know, or something like that, which just I don't think is true. You know, like within the first yeah. week of college, yeah. I was assigned the Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism. And I don't think my my right. my experience is so out there. Um, so that's what right. it, it, it's 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 an inaccurate understanding of what the profession actually is. And this Western bundle of institutions still seems to offer humanity the best hope of solving the problems we face in the 21st century. Maybe the biggest of these problems is not the rise of China, radical Islam, or carbon dioxide emissions, but our own loss of faith in the civilization we inherited from our ancestors. Yeah, I'm going to go with carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, (laughs) Citation needed, right? I mean, such a strange claim, you know? It's like, I don't think he believes that. I don't think he, you know, that's what's so strange. There's no way... He at the very least thinks the rise of China is more important than the faith lost in, in Western civilization. You know, it's just like, again, right. condescending to uh, the audience because I don't think he believes that. Yeah. To this audience. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he would say that to historians. I don't think he would say the loss of faith yep. in the greatness of Western civilization is what is the major problem that ails us. I think he would say it was a problem, but I don't he would say it's the problem. And that's what he does in that sense. Yeah. That's a good question, too, with any of these people. Is this what you would say to your peers? Yeah, that's a good question to ask of all of these. Yeah. yeah. The answer is probably no. Winston Churchill was no friend of Gandhi. 
In 1938, Churchill defined the central principle of Western civilization as the subordination of the ruling class to the people and to their will as expressed in a constitution. Maybe you know of another civilization that came up with that simple but uniquely powerful idea. I don't. He knows that's not how it works. Yeah, I mean, he knows that, that this is not how things work. Like, I, I know that. Uh, yeah. He's written about it, that, that like, how uh, Western <laughs> societies are structured. So again, just saying something, basically. Just saying stuff that he doesn't believe for right. the sake of, of rooking the rubes into, yeah. I, I mean, he's written uh, a, a pretty actually good book on Kissinger that, like, takes Kissinger seriously. <clears throat> Uh, and he right. knows how these things actually work. So it's just, you know, what he's doing for PragerU. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. Like one of the things, you know, early on we started doing this, and I remember I sent some video to Dave. And um, uh, I think it was, you know, obviously Dave had seen these before, but it was the first time we were really diving in. I sent this video, and, and I was like, can you believe this? And Dave goes, oh, yeah, that, that one's done for kids. And they do have a kid's school if you will in this but this was not this one i said it was not done for children but they are all pitched as though they're talking to children right that's the thing that's what you're talking it's it's he's not he's well, not I coming think, to this yeah go ahead i i think they're speaking to to uh you know americans who aren't really that educated and they know that they know that they're dealing with an audience that isn't that bright and hasn't been that well, educated but but yeah, but you can do that without being patronizing and condescending and lying. Yeah, but and I'm not yeah, about they, to tell you that the left or Democrats are already better at that. They have their own way of, of being patronizing dickheads. But no, they're 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 not different. But it works. Like yeah. they are reaching their audience. These are being done perfectly. Yeah, and you, we think they're condescending, but people are enjoy, enjoying them and passing them around. Like, it's. Very I would love weird. to get. I would love to see who the viewers were. You know, class stratum in particular. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious yeah, yeah. who's who's yeah, really sharing these. Uh, obviously, that data will never be released, but you know, maybe Prager U will do advert. Well, they're a nonprofit, but they could do advertisements, and then you know they'd have to maybe release some data. That would be interesting. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, let's let's wrap it up with Big Daddy himself, uh, Dennis Prager. Um, this one, you know, we could spend a year just breaking down Dennis Prager's just his fireside chats and his his, his little essays that he does, and and never run out of material. But this this one is kind of um, I don't know. It's just it's quintessential. It's it's Dennis Prager uh, on the Middle Eastern problem. You guys ready? You strapped in. When I did my graduate studies at the Middle East Institute at Columbia University's School of International Affairs. Uh, so Prager went to Brooklyn College, graduated with a major in history and Middle Eastern studies. Now, I don't think what he just did is lying because he's, he's fudging a little bit. He took courses at Columbia at the uh, School of International Public Affairs and at Leeds, but he left academia without finishing a graduate degree. Mm -hmm. And... Obviously, when you put it the way he did it, you want people to walk out of it thinking you did, but he ain't lying. No, but he doesn't I, say I, I received an MA from Columbia, but he sure as shit implies right. that he received an MA 
from Colombia. You know, it's like, a, what is it? It's an error of omission almost than it is of commission. Right. Which is all, which is all Prager you is, right? Yeah. I, like Charles a, say he holds an honorary doctor of laws from Pepperdine University, believe it or not. Where her, her, her concern was, right? Oh yeah. That's okay. I, um, mm. when I, when I heard him say that, I was like, I didn't know he had that background. Like I thought he got what he's implying. He did like it. Be studying some stuff. Hey, I went to film school for a couple of years before I uh, took off and came to Hollywood and made movies. Yeah. So you know, let's let's get into uh, Big Daddy's summary of what's going on because I I would like to know what's going on in the Middle East. I find it very confusing. It may be the hardest to solve, but it is the easiest to explain. In a nutshell, it's this: one side wants the other side dead. Israel wants to exist as a Jewish state and to live in peace. Israel also recognizes the right of Palestinians to have their own state and to live in peace. The problem, however, is that most Palestinians and many other Muslims and Arabs do not recognize the right of the Jewish state of Israel to exist. Daniel? Well, that's it. I mean, one side wants one dead. <laughs> okay. So we'll be back next week. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't see what the problem is. I've I've spoken to some Israelis in my time, and um, the thing that they always say is how much they love Palestinians and want them to exist. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like so, again, one-sided, this Manichaean view, this this sort of like good versus evil. I mean, and this is just more extreme because this is one instance with Prager. so extreme. Yeah, well, because he has an identification mm-hmm. with Israel. You know, he grew up, he's a post-Holocaust American Jew. And so he has a particular uh-huh. identification uh, to this state. I mean, I'm sure he, yeah, he was born in 48, so he was 25 oh, during yep. the 73 Arab-Israeli war. So he was definitely politicized in this moment. So he's being extreme yeah. partially because he, he himself occupies this particular subject position. So Israel gave land for the promise of peace with Egypt, and it has always been willing to do the same thing with the Palestinians. All the Palestinians have ever had to do is recognize Israel as a Jewish state and promise to live in peace with it. But when Israel has proposed trading land for peace, as it did in 2000, when it agreed to give the Palestinians a sovereign state in more than 95% of the West Bank and all of Gaza, the Palestinian leadership rejected the offer and instead responded by sending waves of suicide terrorists into Israel. Yeah, go. I mean, we don't have to go into the Oslo Accord situation, but that is just a very particular <laughs> gloss on, on what happened in the 1990s. I, I would actually say we do, if you can, briefly, because I, I think we need to provide detail with this stuff because um, uh, it's just so... And it's it's challenging because it's so dumbed down. It it does. I know it feels like degrading to have to go. Well, no, that didn't happen that way. It's but. it's all it, like you said. It's dumbed down. It's super selective. Like every single thing that we've like they describe uh, Che and they talk about what he said when he was twenty four, yeah. but nothing after his transformation. They talk about Gandhi uh, stuff he said when he was young and didn't talk about his transformation what he said afterwards like it's all it's all very yeah. you know everything every single thing they cover is just this little selection of of shit 
Yeah, and I mean, at the very least, to not get into like the back and forth and the negotiations, this doesn't take seriously yeah, Israeli yeah. occupation since 1967, right? Like, even if you're going to take the absolute most pro-Israeli stance, any honest observer is going to have to say, like, there's an occupation and consequences due to that occupation, oftentimes with inhumane conditions. Again, people on the right would admit that. So uh, that yeah. I think it's 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 very very selective. Yeah, and that's that's the odd thing. We keep running into that. We run into these arguments he's making that that even people on his own quote unquote side would would have trouble with. Meanwhile, Palestinian radio, television, and school curricula remain filled with glorification of terrorists, demonization of Jews, and the daily repeated message that Israel should cease to exist. How do they, what, how does the, uh, how did the schools work with no power and no running water? <laughs> and also like, it, it, it was just bizarre. Again, the Israeli liberal, which doesn't really exist anymore, but the Israeli left just points out there's a lot of anti-Arab stuff going on within Israel. Again, just one side of the equation, yeah. not the other side. Yeah. I resisted looking this next part up because I actually wanted to hear what you were saying. I, I, I had never heard this before, and I can begin to claim to be expert on this topic. The motto of Hamas, the Palestinian rulers of Gaza, is we love death as much as the Jews love life. Again, a total dehumanization of your people. I mean, this is what, this is, this is what <laughs> yeah. um, people say. Is that a thing? I, I think he's referring to... Uh, I, I I can't cite chapter and verse, but there are statements like that in sort of the founding documents of Hamas. But again, totally decontextualized, totally dehistoricized, and then basically saying it's also not their motto. It's not the thing they put on their t-shirts or their baseball. I actually I, I I don't know, but if it was, it doesn't matter. Right? That's that's the point because it's just basically an <laughs> oppressed okay. people trying to be to to to, to yeah. rally themselves in the face of a power that's just much more powerful. So again, it's yeah. just like a total dehumanization of your enemy saying they are not human. They, they like death. That's not a human thing to do. Right. And, and that is, yeah. I think like very racist and very, um, you know, will, will, will not result in anything good in the medium or long term. Dehumanization like that is, is never, uh, the path to some positive thing ever, but he's going to solve it. Old Dennis. As I said at the outset, it is a simple problem to describe. One side wants the other dead. And if it didn't, there would be peace. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's simple. Which side? One side is not human. The other side is. God, I, yeah. <sighs> Please remember this. There has never been a state in the geographic area known as Palestine that was not Jewish. Israel is the third Jewish state to exist in that area. There was never an Arab state, never a Palestinian state, never a Muslim or any other state. Yeah, so I think he's just saying that there literally wasn't a separate unit called Palestine because obviously the Ottomans ruled the area that is now Israel-Palestine for hundreds and hundreds of years. So I guess right. that's what he's saying. It's like there wasn't a formal individual thing, but again, it's like this 20% this truth, mm -hmm. you know? That just characterizes the whole phenomenal phenomenon. Yeah, and just kind of the whole the whole approach. He said, with all of these, uh, it's amazing. And as we'll see as we go through other topics, it's it's. I think he's right about. They, they seem to. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it is, but there, you know, here's here's some facts, and now we're going to go into like crazy land with them. So that's it for this week's show. We'll be back next week with more of our deep dive into PragerU. If you want this episode's bonus content, and believe us, you do, go now to levernews.com slash audit and become a subscriber. It's definitely worth it. Definitely and remember, follow it. us on Twitter at the audit pot. And remember, follow us on Twitter at the audit podcast and Venmo tips at the audit one word and other businesses because we businessing we are businessing and also uh and i hesitate to do this this could be dangerous you can email us at the audit podcast at gmail.com um if you want to tell us how great we are that's fine if you want to pick fights with us we'll probably ignore you but mm-hmm. if you have great clips of prager or any of these people at prager you saying absolutely insane shit Believe me, we have not seen everything. So send it to us. And if it's really good, maybe we'll bring it up on a uh, future episode or maybe we'll make a funny video out of it. So we'll be back next week. Maybe. With more, with more Prager U. Good morning, class. Good morning, good morning Professor Gender Neutral Today we're learning all about socialism, deviant sex, and devil worship. Yay! And how cool it is. Hail Satan, but I want to learn about Jesus. Oh, Timmy, science fiction is next week. If you finally had enough of hippie college left-wing fluff, get yourself a real degree from Prager University. Good news, class. Bill Gates is here to give everyone free vaccines. Science is a commie plot. Our professors can't be bought. All textbooks are Soros free at Prager University. My pronouns are he and him. No more guilt, no more blame, no more hetero-white male shame. No apes on your family tree at Prager University. We want to thank our incredible support team, uh, Brian Ciano, our free-floating agent of chaos, a.k.a. research guy. And also Colin McCoy, who does all of our music. You can also find him. He out there in music world. He is known as Diesel Boots.